Sutra 28 When non-greed is confirmed, a thorough illumination of the how and why of one's birth comes. When I awoke that morning, a prayer came into mind. There was only a single ray of light over the far horizon, and so both the sun and I would rise. Om Bhur Bhurvasuvaha Tatsavitur Varenam Bargo Devasya Dimahi and so it means, to the Ancient of Days, whose rays, like a bright morning star, illuminate the earth, may you also illuminate our hearts, so that we can do your work. Now how will we go forward? We'll go one day at a time, said Forgiveness. Just after that, I saw the sun peek over the horizon, and so it was time to rise. Why, I had not died, and neither did you. We are awakening into our own nature. We are waking up into truth. But how should we go about it? You've got to go at the rate you can go. You wake up at the rate you wake up. You're finished with your desires, at the rate you finish with your desires. The disequilibrium comes into harmony at the rate it comes into harmony. You can't rip the skin off the snake. The snake must molt the skin. That's the rate it happens, said Mr. Kismet. There in front of me I found a yak bone, and so maybe this cave was truly a holy grave. As I turned the yak bone over, it had been carved into a dragon circling around itself, and this was used as an ashtray. Now it was empty. There were no more herbs, and up at this elevation, it seemed that only a natural high could take birth. And so I bowed to the earth. I prostrated my body flat and prayed. Before the morning star, that ancient of days, I prayed that God could illuminate our hearts with the sun's glorious rays. Again and again, I prostrated my body flat, and there something began to change. Why all of nature had come to life around me, because nothing stays the same. And so I thought back to my childhood. Oh, who was I? An ever-changing body? But yet it was a spiritual spark within that could never die. As I reflected, I went through my memory until a childhood prank came clear. Why, I remember the time I tied a thread so finely, not even my grade school teachers knew what I had done after all these years. Well, it wasn't just me, but there was another friend from St. Pius who was in on it too. Why, Laura Miller and I had planned it together, and late one night, we constructed a gentle prank that no one else knew. I don't know what came over me, but Laura was my next door neighbor, and so I tell this story simply because this little prank will always connect me to her. Now even though she's no longer in this world, she's still in our hearts, and who would have known that one little prank could have led to a set of stories that would become a work of art. 
Upon that childhood night, the idea came to me. Laura and I decided we would pass out secret notes when we were in grade school, and I'd hide them in people's backpacks when no one was looking, and I'd do this very secretly. Now these notes were not lies, but rather they were aspects of truth. After all this time, I can't remember exactly what they said, but looking back, the teachers came to call them kind messages, and now it's a simple memory from my youth. The notes might have said something like, someone's secret has a crush on you. Another might have said, I see you care very much, and I won't forget about you. Upon that random childhood night, Laura and I printed off about 10 or so unique notes. This was all done in secret at our parents' house, then we hid them in orange envelopes. We closed the envelopes off, and during class the next day, I asked to go to the bathroom. Then I ran to my backpack and got the notes, and once the hallways were clear, I began to distribute them. I hid them in people's backpacks, sticking halfway out, so that they would be easy to find. And when everyone went out for recess after that, there was something magnificent that ten or so of my friends had come to find. Why everyone was perplexed, and no one knew who constructed such messages. All the notes were printed in secret, and there was no sender, name, or other clue upon them. All the children in class were so curious, and many teachers came into our class to speak together. After a good debate as to who did it, neither I nor Laura spoke up, and so the mystery seemed to go on forever. Upon all the confusion of the cryptic notes, the teachers were perplexed as we were only in fourth or fifth grade. And what was the result of such a prank? It gave all our friends something to wonder about as everyone could not stop smiling for the rest of the day. By now it was an old memory, and so it came and went. But I remember it as the most exhilarating moment of my young life. It was then that I discovered joy of inconspicuous kindness, and so those kind notes were simply an anonymous present. What happened after that was nothing. School and childhood life continued to go on, but since no one found out that Laura and I had crafted such a mystery, that little prank sparked a dream that I would always reflect upon. I came to realize we hold great power through kindness and compassion, even though I'd gone about it in quite the quirky way. Isn't it amazing how by stitching a few words together, it can change someone's entire day? After that, I retired from pranks. I was too terrified to get caught. But even today, I wonder what in the world was I thinking. And now in this cave, I look down at the blanket around me. Why, it was as if I could see all my old memories like fine silk knots. When people ask about the purpose of life, I'd like to think of it like weaving a fine plaid blanket or silk scarf. We are tied into many threads, into the world, and this stitching is a work of art. Be it a connection to a brother, a connection between father and son, through mother, sister, pets, or many friends. All these ties of connection, well, it never seems to end. These relationships go on forever, and so we meet again and again. Stitching and looping our lives, we go back and forth. 
No matter how soon we may leave this world, we are all weaving connections that tie us into other people's hearts. Now if a thread is broken, then what happens to a fine silk hijab or scarf? And so we know that over time, this entire work of art is a scarf that could slowly fall apart. All from a few broken threads, a scarf or blanket could lose its life. And that's why it takes all of us together to get our lives tied together just right. See, there's no reason to fight. We don't need any more broken threads. After we depart from this world, it's our impact and our connections in the heart that goes beyond death. Now imagine after death if we viewed all our connections. What would we feel if our silk threads were cut off or separate from the rest? We would gaze upon a fragmented work of art, knowing that there is still work before it's completed at its best. Can you imagine fulfilled potential? How great such a work of art could be? Take a moment and envision a harmonious, interwoven world and reflect on how it would feel, then stay with whatever you envision and see. In that united work of art, we would find that peace exists naturally. This is the nature of who we are. But if we allow these connections to break, then the whole purpose of what we've created is in jeopardy of falling apart. It takes all of us to keep the masterpiece of life together. We are one tribe of the earth land, and it includes all children, women, and man always and forever. Life can be lived right, but how can we keep this in sight? How have we gotten lost? And while some threads in this masterpiece are falling apart, other connections of threads are left hanging on tight. A seamstress knows how it goes, because the pattern always flows. The intricate web is a connection into all, and the masterpiece keeps moving like a stream that moves all on its own. No one tells the stream how to move, rather it is self-existing. So when scriptures talk about God, this is why it says, God has no ending and no beginning. Just like a river, we call this the Tao. God is the miracle by which we thread connections of life together in the here and now. Now this artwork doesn't belong to one person, but we are in it for the all. And if we don't come together soon, the grand tapestry of our species could fall. No matter what we do, nature will recover. Oh, she'll be all right. And so she'll wait and observe as her children try to get it right. And this time we might. It's now and forever. The threads that we're holding onto no, we're not dying. Rather, we are waking up to our true nature. Now, when it comes to silk threads and cultivating the masterpiece of life, we have all sorts of handbooks and philosophies which teach us how to sew life perfectly right. We have Hinduism, Catholicism, we have Buddhism, Islam, Mormonism, and Zoroastrianism. Our religions range from Lutheran and Protestant, or we can learn in Baptist churches about divine knot tying. This religion is a relinking, a connection back home. Some call it God or Allah. Some say Om and Shalom. And I know damn well this tapestry isn't falling apart. We will come back together. Out of the dirt, the same way a lotus grows, the miracle of love 
Keep sprouting now and forever. Life isn't a commodity, but this work of art is like a path we live. With every thought, deed, and action, we cultivate a fine tapestry we call our life, and we do this by the grace of the resources that the universe gives. If we take a step back and look out from the soul, we see that our lives are but threads of a divine spiritual whole. Those connections with others and the relationship to God are the interwoven nature of salvation, heaven, or it could be called an eternal knot. This is why we all we got. Now when a thread gets out of place, a single life may feel as if it's lost. That's why such gentleness, kindness, and compassion are so important, and so we have to protect the children of life at all costs. Look back at the ages of empires. Life on earth comes and goes. We cannot hold on, but we do choose how the threads of our lives are being sewn. From the point of view of a single thread, we must be cautious how we tie our knots. If we are reckless and discard our path, we are bound to get lost, tangled, and caught. If we are hateful, we can lose our connections, then a portion of our tapestry may start to fall apart. When threads fall away, we may call this a loss of our heart. But here's the thing, even if a connection breaks, or the artwork of life could appear to have a mistake, each thread is still tied into the tapestry of our world, and so we must work hard to restore these connections, because as we weave our lives together, we are sewn into the divinity of God's grace. This miracle of life is a miracle of love, and it takes hard work to be conscious and to thrive. Our life is a blessing from our mother and father's offering, and that is why the work of art survives. Examine a plaid blanket or a silk scarf. If you were to zoom in on the threads, we see how all strings are of colored fabric with creative patterns, which we call the journey of life and death. When two threads come together, this union creates a new stitch that is blessed. And so we sew even more connections so that our lives are interwoven into the rest. This is you and me, and this is our place in history thanks to our mothers and fathers. Oh, and look beside you in the tapestry. There are knots closest to us that are known as direct sisters, brothers, cousins, and then maybe even our own sons and daughters. We're all of the same tapestry. We are threads of the same soul. Remember how we are in this together. Uniting the world is humanity's true purpose and goal. There is nothing higher nothing better an individual can do. And so self-mastery is the attainment and nurturing of connections through our souls which continue to grow through. Some call this community, others call it satsang. But whatever you call it, this earth is like a workbench where a divine tapestry is created from. As long as our connections hold, we are good like gold. A precious jewel that is found among massive planets around many galaxies. The purpose of creative life is to help all lotuses grow. Hand in hand, look out and remember how we are all tied together. Death is simply when we look back in awe of what goes on forever. When we pass on and get beyond the veil, let us look back and say, 
What a beautiful work of art we've created. And there we watch our children of life take hold of our threads and pave a new way. Not only for the children of life, but we must do this for our ancestors. Truly, I tell you, the secret of life is this, holding loving connections with our families, communities, and world is what truly matters. Do not lose sight. We are those precious jewels. We must respect every living thing because it is woven with the threads of our spiritual soul. We are one whole. Some call it Allah and others call it God. Look out upon the earth and there is nothing you are not. You are the trees, birds, and the bees. You are everything out there as far as the eye can see. Now the mind comments upon this and says, Isn't this life a great mystery? The wind pushes upon our skin. Oh yes, she's here too. Thank you, Sister Breath, as you float through the air and give us oxygen for our lives to go through. Then Brother Fire flickers and an ocean sweeps up her tides. It's as if all of nature is breathing and speaking to us because we're all a part of the same spiritual nature that does not die. Life was there before us, and it's always been beneath our feet. Earth is essentially the ground and home we sit upon while we stitch a fine silk scarf from a cozy seat. We like to rest in something comfortable, and so we call this chair our Earth. This ground is the starting point from which we cultivate our work of art. And with this life, we've got a limited amount of time. So how will you thread your life to make loving connections? Or will your divine thread slip away and become untied? Our lives create the knot of eternity, and through eternity, God gives us unlimited chances. But we must make the most of this life to curate this great work of art. So why not write our story of life in the most loving fashion. Let hate and evil fall away. May we release and let go. Biting and wars break the threads of life, and everyone feels this pull upon the spiritual soul. Will we assess the damage, or will we look back with awe upon this art? Above all, my friends, we must discover the power in our hearts. Just then, I heard something like a knock. Right when I'd been reflecting, on how my life could be thought of as a single knot. Now what was I thinking about? Oh goodness, this always seems to happen. I totally forgot. And you know, there's one thing that I've never told. So here it goes. When I write these things, well, I'm just like a speck in a river and I'm riding with a great flow. And when I hear ideas come to me, it's never in different voices. It's all my own mind stream. But in the process of writing and recording, I chop it up and assign various ideas different voices. All these ideas emerge through the silly mind. But these ideas are not mine. I'm simply using them the same way a jeweler would dig for diamonds and gems. And so by writing, I decided I too would enter the mind. Now in the mind, we comment on how it's all designed. And that's why I wrote these stories if only to reveal what I came to find. When an idea pops up, or a story or chapter would arise, I would examine what my mind was thinking, and then I'd assign it to a character who looked out through a various set of spiritual eyes. Not quite like a disguise, but like a certain lens or cover. 
The same way, we might arrange various Tupperware in our cupboards. These stories came together by putting ideas in the right place, and so different ideas have various styles. And when it comes to the thoughts of the mind, I learned to look from a spiritual eye. And so the story's various characters could be thought of as archetypes. Sometimes my mind loses sight. Sometimes my thoughts might fight. But in time, I began to assign principles to the thought patterns so that I could better survive this journey called life. If I blocked off certain ideas, then other parts of the mind would dominate and take over. It seemed like there was a war in my mind, and after all this time, I really believe that love is our answer. The longer I sat still, the more a reflection dawned upon what I might need. I took a deep breath in, then I let it out, and decided that I certainly did not need greed. From the material view, death takes everything, yet I still had command of this soul. Maybe this realization was worth far more than most had, and over the next few days and nights, I preserved my energy to cultivate the essence that made our spiritual whole. As I gazed out into the open sky, high above, a great condor flew in circles. As soon as I saw it, I heard it whisper, Hold the highest vision of your life. You now possess the ability to move past any hurdles. But how am I able to tune into that bird? It's as if I could notice the message this condor brings. Is this a psychic tendency or telepathy? How could anyone possess a supernatural way to think? When non-greed is confirmed, a thorough illumination of the how and why of one's birth comes, said Mr. Kismet. What are you saying? That there's a secret way to understand our ultimate purpose? How is this possible if this is something I've never heard of? Not only can you know your true purpose, but you can also understand the reasons of how and why for any birth's occasion. In every life you've lived, you recall a relation between the transitory personality which is formed anew with every birth and the root of every personality which persists through each successive birth. As the body perishes through the experiences and lives, and as the soul goes on, you carry the impressions from all the past lifetimes. Your individuality wears an immortal body which has passed through all experiences and carries the corresponding impressions. So the individuality is a permanent record of all experiences. The personality of the I consciousness with the things in a relative environment relate to our physical body. And only after we develop non-possessiveness can we be freed from the habit of identifying ourselves with our body and the things which we are surrounded by. By cultivating non-possessiveness or non-greed, we lose the bonds of the personality. The natural result of this loosening is that the center of consciousness gradually shifts into the higher aspects of our spiritual soul, which is the Holy Spirit. So although a living body has not had the same experiences of a past life, the gradual fusion of the personality and the individuality results in the filtering down of some knowledge into the mind and thus enables the personality to share all this knowledge. I think that is what you mean by tuning in. That is how you can have knowledge of previous births. 
The development of such extraordinary power from the intensive practice of non-greed shows the importance of doing things with intensity. The secret of discovering the hidden and mysterious facts of life seem to lie in the intensity of effort. Often we meet the phenomena of life superficially and so naturally we do not get anything more than ordinary experiences. But the moment we do anything with great intensity and try to penetrate into the deeper recesses of life, we come across the most extraordinary results and experiences. Not only is this true with our personal experiences, but it is true with science, the arts, and all of life. The truth is that our knowledge of physical matter is nothing compared to the mysteries within our mind, consciousness, and soul. That is what the science of yoga has proved. Yet the world is dominated by money and greed, so few pay attention. And the few that do live lives of wonder, miracles, and great faith, while the majority of the world seems to be following the ill leaders who trap them in greed, suffering, and a cycle of attachment to material things. By the time many achieve their material desires, they have worked 60 years and retire. But by this point, they may even have all the money they wished for, but they have little time and could have sacrificed their life for what feels like a lie. To the yogi who has obtained even a faint glimpse of these mysteries of the remarkable achievements, the material world seems hardly worth bothering about, said Mr. Kismet. Oh, the world, how time seemed to swirl. And so I thought back to the land where my last body had left, and I could see all the people as if I'd returned. By just a simple thought, I was right back in the middle. But terrible and awful wars divided our countries while they invested in more bullets, bombs, and missiles. If we look out from the center of our soul, we are all safe and sound. But since people are still in their bodies, many believe that they are the rulers of this earthly ground. Oh, how the dead know the truth, how the soul does not cease or pass. Only the bones, body, and skin will die because nothing material will ever last. Perhaps there is no other subject wrapped in so much mystery than human history. But through the philosophy of yoga, I had found a map or a method which allowed my inner sight to gain wisdom and see clearly. All that I had left behind did not belong to me. Why all those material things had been weighing me down and up here beside the great spiritual mountain of Kailash, I felt ever free. Without a permanent physical body, I was one with the great spirit of our soul. But the rest of humanity seemed so confused, if only they could look inward and discover the true nature of our spiritual control. The world leaders command their troops, dictators bombard the land, and this is because they have lost control of the real purpose and calling of the human woman and man. Even in Earth's purity, I could sense a feeling of disgust. I was sickened by humanity because so many of these pure souls and cities had been crushed. These leaders were mentally ill and seemed to dominate the land, and all the humans followed in line like robotic machines. Will someone please wake them up because humanity has become a nightmare within a dream? What is this feeling? Why am I repulsed by my fellow humankind? 
I had such a deep connection to humanity, but now adoration for humanity is so hard to find. Through purification arises disgust for one's own body and for contact with other bodies. When you get closer to seeing the true nature of our soul, you start to realize that the body itself is quite impure. Every second there are secretions. Impurities are eliminated every moment. The breath pours out carbon dioxide. The skin discharges perspiration. If we really think about it, it seems to be a very dirty place that we live. No matter how much perfume we put on, it only hides our stink and dirt. Our perspiration is foul, even more so than beasts or animals. And so we apply deodorant to hide our smelly scent in an effort to think of ourselves as pure and perfected. If our skin looks dirty, we dab on a little powder to hide our blemishes to remind ourselves of our beauty. Every time we cover the dirt, it comes back. When we realize this, we develop an indifference towards the body. Not that we neglect it, but we no longer adore it. The time we once spent in our bodies can be used for other purposes like serving others, prayer, meditation, reflection, contemplation, or reading spiritual books. When we feel that our bodies are the embodiment of dirt, how can we then be attracted to other bodies? These attractions will also get reduced and will clearly save us a great deal of trouble. When we spend more time on deeper things than the body and eventually go into spiritual matters, realizing that we are the true self and not the body at all, we will not be interested in bringing two bodies together anymore. We will just think of this process of two claws rubbing together because there is no difference between the body and a cloth. One is a skin shirt, the other like a cotton shirt. The real union is not the union of two bodies. What is it that we call masculine and feminine bodies? They are different shapes of flesh. By putting two lumps of flesh together, can we obtain a state of heaven and freedom? For a few moments, but spiritual union can go on forever, and spiritual union doesn't necessarily mean physical union. If you've heard of Tantra Yoga, most people misinterpret Tantra Yoga as something to do with sexual union. The Tibetan Tantric system speaks of Shiva and Shakti. Shiva being the masculine aspect and Shakti the feminine. This doesn't refer to physical forms, but to the positive and negative forces within each individual. Yogis call it Hatha or sun and moon. Ha meaning sun and Tha meaning moon. The inner sun is in your solar plexus or core, while the moon is at the base of your spine. In order for them to become united, they must come together. This is known as the Prana Apana union. The energy that flows down should be turned up and returned to its source. The heat produced by meditation goes up and affects certain psychic glands which start to produce nectar. This flow follows the rising of the spine and like a serpent, it climbs through the nerves, building them up, making them more alive, which helps them become almost immortal. The Sanskrit term is Amrita, which we call nectar and means immortal. Your body then becomes filled with light, ojas and tejas. It is converted into a yogic body. Now I should add 
The fastest way to kill this yogic body is with alcohol. It disconnects this connection between our energy centers and all the energy is sent back to our root where we behave like prehistoric animals. We tend to get aggressive, wild, or even uncontrollable. This is when the mind really dilutes us, said Mr. Kismet. And about this tuning in, is that when the yogic body becomes alive? Then this subtle vibration that glows out from within is a spiritual essence that begins to thrive? When the receiver is well-tuned, music comes. When we are clear, we are reunited with the Holy Spirit, which is the seer. And when we are distracted by material things, the mind is diluted by all the desires and wishes one could think. It is said that when the disciple is ready, the guru or great teacher appears. If we are not ready though, even with a hundred great teachers around, we would be distracted by our own ego and desires to even notice. We must be ready to receive. Think of this idea like music in the radio. The radio cannot force the speaker to vibrate and bring the music out. So we must be tuned to the right channel. Otherwise, we will be covered by static. That is why preparation of developing virtues like the Yamas, Niyamas, and Ten Commandments are so important, said Mr. Kismet. And by developing the virtues like the Yamas, Niyamas, and Ten Commandments, then our purity increases? As we develop purity of the body, so comes purity of the mind. From mental purity arises the purity of sattva, which is cheerfulness, clear-mindedness, harmony, one-pointedness, control of the senses, and the capability for self-realization. First we can understand the body we have been given, then the heart can be purified. Once the heart is pure, you will always be happy. Concentration of the mind comes automatically without even trying. Only an impure mind runs here and there, forcing us to bring it back again and again. All the senses are controlled too, and then comes the capacity for self-realization. These are all the benefits of following the Niyama's first observance, which is purity. Just be pure in thought, word, and deed. See how simple it is? But often, we don't want to do simple things because it seems there's no pride in it. What is the pride in jumping over a small gutter? We as humans want to jump rivers with giant motorcycles with the risk of breaking our necks or back. The ego never allows us to accept things as simple. The ego rarely allows us to accept things as simple or easy. But even if we practice purity for just one day, we will really enjoy the benefit. Just as a sample, you can start with, Today I'm going to be absolutely pure, absolutely celibate, and absolutely honest. You will be tempted to repeat the experiment again and again, said Mr. Kismet. And is there a goal? By contentment, supreme joy is gained. But understand, there is a difference between contentment and satisfaction. Contentment means just to be as we are without going to outside things for happiness. If something comes, we let it come. If not, it doesn't matter. Contentment means neither to like nor dislike, just to be present to whatever arises. There is a definite reason why superlative happiness abides in a perfectly calm, 
and concentrated mind. A calm mind is able to reflect within itself the bliss which is inherent in our real divine nature, which is the Holy Spirit. The constant surging of desires prevents this bliss from manifesting itself even in the mind. It is only when these desires are eliminated and the mind becomes perfectly calm that we know what true happiness is. This subtle and constant joy comes from within and is independent of external circumstances and is really a reflection of bliss. Think of it like this. Paused Mr. Kismet. If you have an orange and you squeeze it, what comes out? Orange juice, duh. But not apple juice or pear juice. It comes out as orange juice because that is its true nature. So when people get angry or rageful or aggressive and are filled with hatred, it's because that hatred comes out from within. This would be like when a fruit goes bad. And so we must go back to our roots or tree and cultivate new fruit with purity and freshness. When you have cleared these blockages, you are free to release what you truly are, said Mr. Kismet. As I sat in the cave at the base of Kailash, I had a strange thought come to mind. When the world appears ugly and wicked, it's as if our inner aggression is being reflected or purified from where our heart has been deprived. I look out upon the aggressive nature of the people of earth, and so many would rather fight and kill than sit and reflect upon the truth. O oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.